You're listening to Body IO FM with your hosts, Kiefer and Dr. Rocky, where cutting edge science meets the razor's edge of health and performance. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Body IO FM with your host, Kiefer and Dr. Rocky Patel. Hey, Kiefer. There's always a delay. One of these days, Rocky is going to follow up with a hello as soon as I get done introducing him. I'm waiting for that day. <laughs> and, uh, of course, we always mention our sponsor, Hylete Athletic Wear. Uh, you can get a discount on body.io. It's off on the right-hand side. And today we have on our show Rachel Guy, who's also known as the Athletic Fox. And we're we're actually like one of her counterparts is here in studio with me and I'll explain that in a minute but Rachel Guy for those of you who don't know she is Sydney's most popular uh strength and conditioning coach I read on her little bio today and just her list of credentials is impressive uh, you need to go check her out if you don't know who she is or you haven't run into her she's been on athlete.io before so Say hi, Rachel, and uh, you can say whatever else about yourself you would like to say. Well, I would say good morning, boys, but it's not actually morning with you guys. I think it's the evening. So good evening. Um, Thank you very much for the introduction. Um, It's very nice to be here. Um, I Yes, I run uh, my business is called Athletic Fox. And basically what I'm trying to do is bring everything that I've learned in sort of mainstream strength conditioning. Uh, My background is in physiotherapy and also in conditioning in contact sports. So uh, predominantly rugby and mixed martial arts and kind of, I don't want to say soften it, but just, I guess, make it a little bit more appealing to women. So um, hence Athletic Fox was born and Athletic Fox, my company tries to bring a bit of tough love and I guess a bit of balance back into to a lot of females' lives, you know? There's so much, um, so much bullshit in the media today on how women should train, um, how they should eat, you know, and I think the, the biggest problem that women have nowadays is that they've really got to the stage of, okay, I know that I should probably be lifting weights because it's good for my bones, even if they get that far. Um, I know that I shouldn't be on a low fat diet anymore, but what the hell else can I do? So I see my part of, you know, my role with Athletic Fox is to try and um, smooth over these myths. And, um, you know, I want to become the the trusted go-to resource for women, basically who are fed up of the industry bullshit. And I guess being on that roller coaster of dieting, guilt, restriction, binge eating, self-deprivation, um, and let's just get these ladies lifting and growing some glutes. So that's what I'm all about. So have you been on that roller coaster yourself? Did you go through the entire, you know, binging, self-deprivation, really low fat? Did you have to kind of go through all that rite of passage before you started to really learn and understand what, what it is that works best for you, which is, you know, totally the opposite of the standard prescriptions or bullshit as you so appropriately called it. Um, actually I have to say, I, am really lucky. I mean, I'm, I'm a bit of a tomboy when it comes to training and food. And so I see, I, I see food as fuel. Um, that's not to say that I'm not foodie. Of course I am. Um, but I'm very lucky that I've never been through that. Um, my mum, I, I have to credit my mum for that. She always um, brought us up on very nourishing foods. Um, and she never, you know, my mum made things really simple for me. Um, I just remember very early on, I think I was probably about 40, maybe 15. I came home to her one day and I said, you know, mum, like, I think I'm getting a bit fat. And so instead of saying to me, oh, well, you want to cut out this, this and this, she taught me different ways to cook. So, you know, she cooked my brother's like chicken and breadcrumbs um, in the oven and she would help me cook, like, you know, poached chicken and she'd show me different ways of cooking that were, I guess, a little leaner. Um, so she never really, um, she never focused on the fat you know, that you want to cut out fat, you want to cut out carbohydrates, you want to count your calories. She never focused on that. You know, she just showed me different alternatives and different ways of doing things. So I have to credit my mum for that. Um, yeah, you know what? I think as all women, we all go through a phase of uh, finding out what works best for us. You know, when I was in my final year of university, um, studying physiotherapy, obviously it was very stressful. Um, I did find myself becoming a bit of a cardio queen. And um inadvertently I did drop a lot of weight 
And I think, to be honest, a lot of that was stress related. And quite simply, I just wasn't eating enough. Um, There was never the intention to to lose weight. I just wasn't eating enough. And I was training my ass off. So, you know, go figure. Um, You know, I have had my fair share of, you know, adrenal fatigue, training too hard, not eating enough, not resting and recovering. Um, But no, I, I, like I said, Touchwood, I've, I've been very lucky but I've worked very closely um, with women. Obviously, I've worked with thousands of women all over the world now, and I just see the same pattern. And it is just a roller coaster of skipping from one diet to another, searching for the silver bullet. Um, I know friends of mine, you know, very close friends of mine, and a lot of a lot of my clients. They go from meal to meal where every single thing that they eat, every single thing they put in their mouth, they feel guilty about, and that's such a horrific place to be. You know, food is in my opinion, one of the many wonders of the world. And if you're in the state where you can't go out for a, you know, a dinner with your husband or your other half or your partner, and you're, you know, and you're feeling continually guilty about that situation, that's a terrible place to be, you know, where, you you know, we've got these bikini model coaches now and these, these bikini and figure prep coaches who are saying, oh, you've got to, you know, you've, you're only allowed to eat chicken and broccoli or what's the other one? Tilapia and and asparagus. Yeah. Oh my God, I'm so far away from that stuff. Like, I can't, <laughs> oh my God, the idea, I, I literally, if someone told me to eat that, I just laugh in her face. I'm sorry, but there are so many other ways of getting lean, um, you know, and doing all of that cardio and the, the guilt that is surrounded by that is just horrific. So, you know, that's, that's really like what I'm passionate about now is really trying to, I guess, give women a really good education um, to free themselves from that. Now here, here's something that I, Oh, go ahead, Rocky. I'll let you jump. I was in just saying, don't you think part of that dogma though is because it tends to work. I mean, and not necessarily it's not optimal, but, and it could be along the lines of that's how I did it. And that's how uh, this person did it. And the person who trained him did it. And that's how we did it. But in a sense, if you can, if you have the mental fortitude to stick through all that, then that's something that can work. Although it, I'm not saying it's healthy, but, you know, that's why people continue to go down that road. Yeah, totally. And I, look, I mean, I think that's a bit of a, um, a it's what people fall to when they, they don't really know what else to do. And I, I'll always say in that situation is, OK, you lost weight that way, but how do you look now? And, you know, how are you going to look six months down the line? And if somebody is on a diet now that they can't stick to for the next six, to, you know, six months to 12 months, um, it's not a suitable diet to be on. I mean, having said, we're talking about general public here. We're not talking about those prepping for a bikini or a figure show or, you know, somebody competing in bodybuilding. You know, I think that that is a completely separate category altogether. Um, but if we talk about the general population and, the, you know, the general population who want to be fit, lean and athletic, I think the biggest things that are missing are those basic nutritional and basic foundation levels of health and nutrition. And everybody automatically goes towards and is gravitated towards a low calorie diet, obviously the excessive cardio. And you know what? Yes, it is going to get weight off you in the beginning, but it's, you can't maintain that. And there will be a certain point at which you plateau. And so what happens then after you've plateaued, you know, what do you do then? You can't increase your cardio anymore. You know, you can't reduce your calories anymore. You know, we've all worked with, um, you know, figure prep girls and, and actually just general population girls who are doing sometimes three, four hours cardio a day. They may be on a thousand, 1,200 calories if they're lucky. You know, where do you go from there? So this is where I think, and look, of course, and I still work in mixed martial arts as well. Like I, um, I'm working on a TV program at the moment called Women's Warrior. And um, I've got a couple of guys. I need to get some weight off them fast. You know, we've got matchups coming up. Um, their weight isn't coming down. So, yeah, you know what? I am going to revert to caloric restric- restriction. It is going to be for a very short period of time, probably just the next sort of um, five to six weeks. I bring them down to weight, but then we reverse diet them. So we basically just very, very slowly introduce calories back into the diet and make sure then that, that, that they are back up at that base nutritional level. So yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with what you're saying. You know what? It does work, but for how long? So I'm always about looking at long-term fat loss um, and having a, you know, I talk about having a bikini body, um, particularly with my girls. Like I want a year round bikini body. I don't want to be able to fluctuate um, during the year, whether it be sort of five kilos, 10 kilos, you know, you should be able to to stay relatively lean year round and actually quite easily. So right. 
one thing in this conversation that's really interesting to me is that you are, I mean, literally on the other side of the world from us. And everything yes. you're saying is exactly what's going on here. And right. that to me is, is very interesting that, you know, even though we've got a, a huge separation uh, at the government level, you've been Australia's policies, uh, UK's policies, a lot of Europe's policies have been influenced by American policy that was never based on science in the first place. And, and now with, you know, the internet being able to connect people all over the world, all these other things have now also bled over. And so we've got a common problem pretty much everywhere, which to me is a amazing. If you think about it, it really is amazing that you're having a conversation that we could have with anybody else, uh, you know, stateside in the UK, uh, that, that to me is interesting, but it also means that it, there's a potential to solve this problem on a much greater scale than in your own community. You know, we, we can, yeah, we can spread this information so much better uh, now than we ever could before. And having somebody like you on, on the forefront of it, who is, is really looking at not just those short-term results. And I think that's, that's where everybody gets sucked into it is, you know, I don't know how many times I've heard, uh, clients of other coaches say, well, at least I'll have the pictures from this show. I mean, they know that they can't sustain this and they know that they're probably going to look worse when it's over. But these diets, just like Rocky pointed out, they work, but they work for a very short amount of time and they work for a specific reason, which is basically hijacking the stress levels of the body to really eat into body fat. You know, a lot of these What's not talked about is the amount of stimulant use that usually goes into these diets, which is necessary to keep them working when you strip out too much fat. Uh, you know, it's, it's just, it's nowhere near healthy. It's nowhere near sustainable and it's incredibly damaging. And that is always lost in the conversation, especially when you just talk about calories in, calories out. Because what do you do? You cut calories and then you exercise more because you're just trying to get more and more calorie deficit. And like you said, where do you go? You get to a certain point where there's nothing you can do. So then you open up the avenue for there's clinics that you can go to that put you on a supervised diet of 600 calories a day plus activity. You, you, mm -hmm. That's asinine to me. You know, what do you do when you leave that isolated environment? You're screwed. I mean, you're screwed for life. Uh, so. Well, you, you know, you know the, the interesting factor here is that, that that exercise more mentality is like burned into everybody's you know, mindset. I mean, I saw a patient this afternoon. He just retired. Um, he's able to exercise more because he was so busy with work and stress. And now he's able to exercise. I brought diet up and it was always kind of reverting. The conversation was always reverting back to, well, I, I can move more again. I'm like, well, no, how about we just take carbs out of your breakfast? <laughs> yeah. But it's always, it's always going back to exercise and doing more. And I, I find that a, a, it's just something that we see in the general population that I see in the practice as well. Do you find it more difficult, Rachel, to make dietary adjustments with your clients or exercise adjustments? You know, which is it, if they're exercising too much, is it harder to get them to back off the exercise or change the type of exercise? Or is it more difficult to get them to start to eat enough calories? We'll just make it that simple, you know, where they're eating enough to fuel their body. Yeah, I mean, I, it can be a mix of the two, really. I think um, I'm actually quite tough with my girls. So, you know, I basically I just tell them how it is. Um, and the, the, the truth is as well is that, you know, I actually tell them why it is damaging. And I think by educating them and knowing exactly what this is doing to them. And, you know, you do have the odd resistant one or two. And I'll just go around and I'll say, you know what? I said, OK, answer me this question. Is what you're currently doing working for you? Yes or no? And obviously it's not because they're usually fatigued, they're tired, they're fat, they feel like shit, you know, they're not eating very much. So they're, they're game to change. And usually by the time they come to me, they've, you know, we've already built a trust. Um, they've seen what I've done with other girls. So, you know, and I, I won't let them fail. And I mean, some need a little bit more nurturing than others. But I think the biggest thing for women is that um, they are frightened to add more calories into their diet. So I do it very slowly. You know, if somebody's been on a, a thousand calorie or 800 calorie a day diet, there's no way I'd go and straight and put them on a 2200 calorie a day diet. Um, so we tight, we, you know, we titrate their, their calories up very, very slowly. Um, 
we start with um, proteins and then we add in some fats into the diet. And then, you know, we just add, I, I like to add more bulk through vegetables. So we sort of, you know, get them used to eating a little bit more. And the other thing is as well, you know, I, I just, I tailor it to each client. You know, some clients work better on three meals a day with a couple of snacks. Um, some, some girls work better on four bigger meals. And with, with girls in particular, I work on the satiety factor. So, you know, especially if they've been dieting for a long period of time, um, they tend to binge eat because they're just desperate for that feeling of feeling full after a meal. So, you know, we'll, we'll start, um, especially over the, over the weekends and everything, you know, I start introducing slightly bigger meals um, and, and do it that way. And in terms of exercise, I get them weight training straight away, I take them off cardio Um I don't even titrate the cardio. I just cut it straight away. You know, if we've got some girls who are doing like, you know, two to four hours cardio a day, that's, I'm done with that shit. Like I'm not, I'm not even going to mess around there. We just cut it straight away. Um, and you know, I get, I get a look of horror, anxiety, or I get this like overall, you know, I have girls in my office just in tears saying, thank you. I just, I can't bear to do any more cardio. So you know, it is on a case by case scenario. And look, there's nothing wrong with cardio. I think that it's, it is seriously abused. I think that, you know, I think cardio is a great thing. I think, you know, we should all be doing some, some form of interval training. If you want to go out for a, a bit of a run, if that's your thing, um, great, go out and do it. If you want to go for a walk, fantastic, go out and do it. You know, I've got friends who are ultra endurance athletes and they are, you know, they're phenomenal athletes you wouldn't catch me running a hundred Ks, but these guys are amazing. Um, but you know, each, each to their own. But what I will say is that, you know, this is one thing that I learned, um, from a couple of my friends who've done, you know, ultra endurance events. People will think that they are out running for hours and hours every day, but they're not. So even these ultra endurance athletes, they have periodized programming and they do a lot of interval training within their programs so you know we have to learn something from that although these guys are extremely fit and they can go for hours on end and you know maybe once a week once every 10 days they'll go on a you know a longer run whether it be a four or five hour run maybe it's sometimes even more the majority of their training at the top level is done using intervals so that's you know I when girls say to me oh well you know I've got to run for fat loss it's usually because that's all they all they've been taught and so we just try and teach them a different way of doing things it, it is interesting that volume component and the mm -hmm. misconception between what some of these elite athletes do or uh you know very high performance athletes do for their events compared to what their training is like and you know i found that haphazardly i always when I was cycling a lot, you know, I went through this period where I thought the more volume I did training, the better that the end result would be for an event. And I would get up to where I would cycle, you know, 80 miles a day preparing for a hundred mile bike ride. And then I would do the hundred mile bike ride and I would be obliterated. You know, I would get through mm. it. It was like, you know, my time was not great. Uh, you know, it, it was a horrible experience and it wiped me out for a week. And then when I went to college and continued to train, I just didn't have the time to do that type of riding. So I cut my riding down to 40 miles just twice a week. And in that 40 miles, I, there, were a lot, there was a lot of sprinting and then a lot of kind of middle level uh, training. And then when I did my next 100 mile ride, like I blew my time away by two hours and I got off the bike and I was fine. The next day I didn't even, you know, there was no sign that I had ridden a hundred miles the, the day before, you know, it was no big deal. And that was kind of my first lesson in, you know, what, what really happens? Like, how do you force the body to go through these ad adaptations and what is your real end goal? And I think that's lost a lot. So people just think, you know, I need more and more volume. Look at these guys, look at these Ironman competitors. They're so lean you know, and they probably, you know, do hours and hours and hours every day for their training. And so therefore, that's what I need to do too to get lean. And it, it does not work that way. There's so many other components that are just hidden from the general public. You know, it's it's not out there. And I think that's reinforced by the overall message, calories in, calories out. You know, you need, to, if you exercise more, you're going to burn more energy, which is going to come off in fat and you'll be leaner and healthier and it just doesn't work. The body doesn't work that way. It's not that simplistic. 
I think as well, you know, this calories in, calories out thing and, you know, exercising more. We're talking here about a lot of people are talking when they say, oh, I, I you know, I want to lose weight. No, they don't really want to lose weight. They want to lose fat. And I don't I don't think they really understand the difference between the two. Now, when you're on a caloric restricted diet and you're doing excessive amounts of exercise, sure, you're going to lose weight, but you're going to probably end up skinny fat. And then you get to the stage where, you know, you, you know, I have girls come in and they're doing these things and they're still pinching their tummy and, you know, they've still got fat on their thighs and they're like, well, how do I get rid of it? I'm like, well, you know what, honey, you need to eat more, stop eating like a sparrow and you need to start lifting weights. That's how you get rid of it. So the <laughs> difference is, is that you, you, these girls are, um, you know, I say girls, I mean, it's, it, it happens to guys as well. Yeah. And especially guys actually in the over 40 category. You know, I have a lot of one-on-one clients who are, um, who come to me and uh, male clients and they're doing a lot of cardio because they want to stay lean and obviously you know they've hit that sort of that 40 roadblock and they're, they're struggling to stay lean and so they're doing more cardio and eating less when actually they should be eating the right macronutrients and lifting weights because that's the sort of look that they're after I think that the general public is also a little bit confused between fat loss and weight loss so we want to try and maintain as much muscle as we can um, and still And, we just want to try. And- oh, go ahead. Sorry, carry on. <laughs> you go. Well, I was just, you know, we, we actually lost the call there for a second. So you, what Rachel, what you were saying is absolutely right. That's the big confusion is, uh, and it's, it's even a little more confusing because people talk about burning fat. And when you do exercise a lot and you do cardio and you do this endurance, you do actually burn fat. But that's not our goal. We're not trying to just burn fat from the fuel that we ingested. We're trying to mobilize body fat. And that's exactly what you're saying. You know, we don't want to destroy the muscle tissue. We don't want to just lose weight. We want to set up an environment in the body where we're mobilizing body fat. We're actually allowing our body to access all that stored energy and get rid of it. And that's how we get lean. We don't get lean just by more and more energy output and all this focus on burning fat because you can sit on your couch all day and you'll burn fat. That's not going to make you leaner. Burning fat is not the key. It's setting up an environment to mobilize that body fat. And I think that's that's starting to be more understood, but it's at very, very small audiences. You know, it's not mainstream, that differentiation that just because you're burning fat doesn't mean you're getting rid of your body fat. Uh, that's that's a difficult concept for a lot of people, I think. For sure, and you know, it's one of those things as well. It's like I, I think a lot of people, like the, I mean, the resources. You know, we have Google now. We have all of these resources, and like you were saying earlier, all of this information is everywhere. But really, when it comes down to it, if I was a girl and I had been doing cardio, and I, where would I go to start lifting weights? Like I don't, I genuinely don't know where I go. Well, I could go to my local personal trainer, but I don't know if they would be any good. Um, you know, we, we you come online, and you know, I have a membership site and an online program. Um, I know a couple of other um, female trainers that do. Um, I know a few male trainers that do, but really, like, where do you even start? So, you know, this is something that I've really focused on this year is really trying to help girls who are really just starting out. You know, yeah, I, I run programs as well for, I call them the seasoned fitness bunny. Um, so those girls who are already lifting and just just need a little bit of guidance. And, uh, you know, I have a trainer, so I outsource all of my training and nutrition. So I guess, you know, I'm I'm the go-to girl for, for those ladies as well who, who basically want it all. They've usually got the high-end corporate job. They also want the bikini body, um, but they just like to be told what to do. But then I'm also really trying to tap into these girls who are just lost. You know, I, I call them the, the women's health readers. So, you know, they're reading women's health. They may starting to be look at Oxygen magazine. They're starting to look at these things, um, but they really don't know where to go. And actually, they know what they should be doing, but actually, how should they implement it? So, you know, one of the things that I'm doing this year and I'm really keen to do is um, run seminars and they are literally just introduction to weight training seminars. So I'm going to teach the girls how, you know, every girl can be starting to do goblet squats, even if it's body weight squatting, um, split squatting, glute bridges, you know, all of these like uh, 
flat dumbbell pressing, overhead pressing, you know, the real, real basics to weight training, which to be honest, I learned when I was 14, I was very, very lucky to um, be introduced to weight training at a very young age. Um, I had a lot of personal trainers um, through my younger years from uh, ex-bodybuilders to um, ex-military PTs to, you know, the functional PTs where we, we did lots of cables and BOSU balls. And, you know, I, I did all of that stuff. And it was great to have such a variety in it. And that's, that eventually, obviously, I went on to study physiotherapy and the body became my obsession and, and my fascination. So, you know, I was lucky to be experienced in that in the beginning but you know for those girls who didn't grow up with sporting history um i'm trying to provide something that you know here's how you can learn right i have to ask how do you mind telling us how old you are <laughs> i'm 30 <laughs> oh wow you're still just a pup you're young i know i'm in the dirty 30s now though so um, I, i'm told life gets better when you hit 30 and look I, I i have to agree like my 30s so far you know all nine months of it have been amazing yeah it Exactly. You know, I worked so hard for what I consider just horrible results visually compared to what I wanted when I was in my 20s. And Mm -hmm. I finally figured it out and hit my stride in my 30s. And, you know, I'm almost 40 and I have no problems with, you know, my body fat, you know, my muscle mass. Like it's just so easy. And that's, you know, the whole point of everything I do as well. And you do. It's not that hard. It's actually pretty it's easy. It's really not that. Yeah, it's really not that hard. It becomes, I think the most important thing that we need to tell people is that this is a lifestyle, um, you know, and I stay, you know, would I say that I stay very lean with a six pack year round? No, because I don't want that. I like to have curves. Like I don't like to be shredded. And that's personally what what I feel like. I like to have a, you know, um, a small tight body, but I don't like to be shredded. Um, you know, for guys, it's different for some girls, it's different, but it's also how you feel in your own skin. And it's really not that hard to stay, you know, within that sort of, you know, one to two kilo range year round. Yeah. Sitting, sitting here at 45, I hate you both. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you had a much, much different start than both of us, Rocky. I mean, you have to admit that because I, I've been doing, you know, some sort of athletic training since actually the same age. I started at 15. So, you know, I've got, Jesus, what is that, like 25 years on you, basically, of experience in that realm. And you've just really started to pay attention to that stuff. Am I correct? Probably, yeah, probably like 10 years ago. I mean, I never lifted weights in high school. It was never my thing. I didn't play for the football team. I played soccer. So we never really looked into the weight room at that point in time. I mean, nowadays, it's pretty much required. But, you know, I never really lifted weights through undergrad. I never really knew how, never got taught so most of what I've done over the last 10 to 12 years, it's been all, you know, kind of just uh, school hard knocks, trying to figure this stuff out. And like you said, you know, I've used trainers and, um, you know, like you said, and I think that I've had pretty decent quality trainers. And but still, it's just one of the things that tends to continue to befuddle me as a novice lifter, so to speak. But you've got to admit, at least for your, your body fat, I've seen old pictures of you. It's a oh, lot yeah. easier now. <laughs> to control your body fat than it was then. And I, I don't know how old oh, those yeah. pictures were, but. Uh, probably my early thirties, you know, 10, 12 years ago. And you still get to enjoy food. I mean, you, oh, yeah, you wouldn't, I, I've seen some of the things you've posted that you've eaten and you definitely don't deprive <laughs> yourself. <laughs> not at all. You know, we talked about, you know, you talk, I think Rachel talked about the not depriving yourself and, and trying to not feel guilty for what you're eating. And I think one of the things that I've really found over the last three years while I've been kind of going through this kind of uh, self-education process, if you look at like carb night, for, for example, is that this way of eating, I never feel guilty for what I eat. I mean, I never do anymore. You know, so if I, you know, if I throw down four donuts, I've done it in a way that I know I'm going to max- minimize the damage and potentially maximize the results, right? Yeah, and, and that's what it comes down to. So do you mind going into just kind of your, you know, 10,000 foot view of your nutrition philosophy, Rachel? I mean, you don't yes, have to, have you like, can say no if you want, but I'm just going to hang up on oh, you. Oh, I'd say, I'd, I'd say no to you. Don't worry. No, I'm, I'm happy to talk about nutrition. <laughs> oh, that, that's harsh. I'm going to have to cut that out of the show. I can't let that go live. <laughs> um, no, let's talk about nutrition. So, um, 
I have various, uh, look, I use a lot of tools when it comes to nutrition uh, and getting somebody lean. But um, I, the first thing that I do with everybody is, like I said, I, I go really back to the foundations and get everybody on a base level of nutrition. Now, for my girls, it would look something like this. So um, I get them eating whole foods. Um, and I usually stick to um, single food, uh, single ingredient foods um, for the first sort of six to eight weeks until they've really sort of got a hold of their portion sizes and portion control. And, you know, I don't count calories. I use portion control with them. So, you know, the majority of their food would look like this. You know, they'd have a serve of protein. Um, I basically give them a template and they pick a serve of protein. So it may be, you know, chicken, lamb, beef, eggs, you know, whatever it is. Um, they fill their plate with vegetables and salads. Um, and then they pick, um, I usually give them to start with cause most of them have been on such low carbohydrate diets. Um, we introduce carbs slowly back into their, their diet plan. So we start with about two serves a day and one serve might be, you know, half a cup of cooked rice, for example, it's such a small portion, but I, we introduce those, um, one service after their training session. And the other serve, they can either have a breakfast first thing in the morning if that's what they want to do because, you know, some some people run better on a, a sort of a, a lower fat, more carbohydrate-based breakfast. Um, or if you're like me, I don't do well on that. So I would have my second serve of carbohydrates with my dinner. So I'd have one serve after training and then another serve with my dinner. Um, I also like my girls to have two pieces of fruit a day. So, you know, the fruits can come from, uh, I like berries. Um, you know, all the girls say to me, oh, but if I eat bananas, I'm going to get fat. Come on now. Bananas are not going to make you fat. Let's get real here. So, you know, we start with a banana after training. And, you know, we start as a very slowly titrate up their carbs. So, you know, I like to start them on probably about, you know, in anywhere between 80 to 100 grams of carbohydrates a day, which let's be real here, isn't very much. And the, the more they get into their training, the harder they're able to push in training, obviously, the more I feed them. So that's my very general basic overview on nutrition. Um, in terms of fats, um, I'm a big fan of fats. You know, I, I think we should have a, a fair bit of it in our diets. And, you know, fats coming from um, butter, coconut oil, um, olive oil, avocado, uh, nuts, um, egg yolk, so, you know, I, I'm very into the, I guess, a, a very holistic view of nutrition. From there, that's when we start introducing the tools. So um, I use car back loading, particularly for my guys. The girls, you know what, I, I haven't got such good results on girls only because I think it, there's a lot of an emotional element when it comes to eating carbohydrates, particularly when we're doing a car back load at night, it often ends up as a binge. So I don't tend to use it with my girls, my guys, yeah, and they get amazing results from it. Um, I use a lot of more carb cycling with girls. Um, you know, we'll go through phases where we'll have, you know, I do um, some fat loading with them. We'll have some high calorie days, some lower calorie days. So, you know, these are all tools that I bring in when we're looking to progress somebody's training and looking to progress somebody's body composition. But we always, always go back to that baseline market and that foundation nutrition where, you know, I call it nutrition for life. So you're giving somebody a nutritional plan or nutrition guidance that they can maintain for the rest of their lives. That is so key and fundamental to, you know, success period. We're here in the States, and I assume this is this is true in Australia as well. You know, people get so focused on that short-term diet and you know, this is, yeah, this is only something that I have to do for a little bit of time and it's going to fix everything. And it just doesn't work that way. I mean, you spent, you spent a decade, maybe two decades, maybe even more, you know, putting on this weight or getting out of shape or damaging your health. You're not going to fix it with a short-term diet in six months. You need to change your lifestyle to match your new goal. And you might not have realized it, but whatever lifestyle you had, the end goal was that you are overweight and sick. And so you need to change that. And uh, th that's where, you know, I, I thought it was funny. Somebody asked me if I was upset because people call carb night a fad diet. And I was like, you know, part of me is, is not that upset about it because if people are calling it a fad diet, that means it's popular and it works. But yeah. it, it's not a diet. It's a lifestyle. I know people who have been on carb night since I first wrote the book, which was, gosh, I don't know, like eight years ago now. And everything about their health is better. You know, they're leaner, they're happier. 
And even if they go through a period in the winter where they put on a little bit of weight because they just don't care, they don't care about their diet, they fix it right away. Just like you said, you know, they, there's this little bit of range that they might fluctuate through, but it's not hard for them to get back to where they need to be. And it, it sounds like, you know, your, your approach is exactly that, you know, you're teaching people how to work with their body and have a lifestyle that they don't have to stress over this stuff anymore. You know, like part of me feels like you, this isn't rocket science. Like, why <laughs> isn't this commonplace? Like, is this so simple? Like, I feel guilty sometimes for telling people this because it is so bloody simple. But, you know, like, I think it's the, I, I think it's, you know, women in particular, they need permission to feel that it's okay to eat things. And it's really sad. Like, what the hell have we done to society? It's just such a mess. Yeah. And it's not getting results is the thing. You know, we've run this, we've run an experiment. Basically we've run an experiment on the industrialized world's population for 40 years and we know it doesn't work, you know, which means all of those mindsets that have come out of it, we have to abandon. And you're right that it's women are a very difficult audience to work with because so much guilt is wrapped up in what they eat. And that is one of the biggest travesties that I think we have right now. And and every solution that comes along reinforces that. I don't know, is paleo popular down under? Oh, yeah, so popular. I think, you know, I, I, do you know what, last year I think I posted this Facebook status update and I just said paleo schmaleo and like I was – making fun of paleo. Yeah. And I had this unbelievable, I mean, I said, I look, to be honest, I was just being a bit cheeky. I was lying on a beach somewhere and I was like, oh my God, I'm so sick of all this paleo stuff. <laughs> and I posted that and I had this complete, I mean, some people got really offended and it was complete backlash. And then other people were like, you know what, putting their hands up going, yeah, like, you know what, I agree with you. So I, I take it paleo's being in the US as well. Oh, it's huge. And, and it does the same thing. It reinforces this idea of there are some foods that you should never eat. And if you do, you should feel guilty. And it just adds this whole new layer of stress. And it, it doesn't work. You know, more finally, research is actually exploring the efficacy of this paleo diet. And it's just not very good. You know, it's no better than a low glycemic mm. diet. You know, the results are identical. Um, you know, where there's all this focus on like special types of food and special sourcing for your food and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, at the end of the day, it makes no difference. All it does is it adds another stressor to your day on what you should be eating. It's like, oh my gosh, wait, before you give me those French fries, were those fried (laughs) in oil that maybe something that had wheat was also fried in? Did you fry battered chicken in the same oil that you fried my French fries? Because if you did, I just can't eat them. And it's, well, it goes be it, 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 goes, yeah. it goes beyond that though, because whether it's paleo or whatever diet paradigm you're in, um, they will then find the foods that you once found comfort in, and then what you know, old paleo, for example, paleofy them, and so now you've got these other foods that were once off limits but have been now paleofied, and we think these <laughs> are healthy for us now. Like they're any better for you? Right. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, paleo brownies, paleo cookies. You know what? For God's sakes, if you want to eat a cookie, go and eat a real cookie. (laughs) If you want to eat a brownie, go and have a real brownie and just really enjoy it. You know, like personally, look, if if you've got celiac disease and you've got to avoid gluten, then fine. Personally, I don't have gluten in my diet. I have, um, I have quite bad um, irritable bowel syndrome, so IBS. So um, look, do I have gluten in my diet? Yes, now and again, because let's be honest, I like a bit of cake. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I don't I don't have it on a, uh, on a daily basis as such. But, you know, if it's, if it's the weekend, I want a muffin on a Sunday morning, then I'll have one. Um, if I want some, you know, I, I have dairy in my diet. I put cream in my coffee. I have milk in my tea. Um, but you know, that doesn't affect me. So for me, it's dose dependent, but you know what, whatever floats your boat, but I agree with you, Rocky, you know, if you paleo brownies and cookies and whatever else there is, paleo muffins, just give me the real stuff. Right. I mean, it could go for Atkins or South beach or whatever diet paradigm you're looking at. They have those bars that have been, you know, Atkinified or South beachified. It's just, you know, 
it, and you look at the ingredient list on those things and they're like, you know, a paragraph. <laughs> I know, right? It's terrible. <laughs> yeah. It, so. Yeah. Well, we, we talked about that. We were at, oddly enough, both Rocky and I were presenters at Paleo FX this past, uh, <laughs> this past year. And, you know, we're so anti-paleo, but, you know, we were walking around the expo floor and we talked about this. There are so many paleo treats now and, you know, pre-packaged, yeah. ready to eat. It's like, seriously, the focus is exactly what you're saying. And you just, you took out all these other extreme food avoidance problems. And you said it pretty simply, go for whole foods, look for things with the least amount of ingredients. Like, how hard is that? Yeah. And then when you paleofy everything, you're putting all these ingredients back in and you're like, oh, well, it says paleo on the wrapper. So obviously this is healthy. You know, like with paleo, I think the biggest thing, you know, we've we've all been through it as trainers. We try these things. And with paleo, I mean, in, in Sydney in particular, Australia, you know, I've talked to some top coaches down here. We all jumped on the paleo bandwagon for a while. The ironic thing is, is that in the long term, we all got fat. Um, we all had, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say we all had thyroid issues, but certainly that the, the extreme low carbohydrate intake, um, had a significant impact on health and body composition. Um, it was much harder to lose fat at the time. None of us were doing any cardio either. Cause it was all about lifting weights and, you know, eating fat and protein and nothing else. Um, so, you know, I, I do think that, you know, if you, if you're going to do a paleo diet, just in moderation. It's like with everything, really. It's all about a bit balance, really, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it really is. That's the hard part for everybody is we keep coming back to this message. Yeah. It's like, it's simple. It's really simple. You know, it's not something that you need to be stressing about. It's, you know, there there's a balance there. And maybe you're using a template that helps you achieve that balance. Um, but you don't need to be so extreme. And you don't need to obsess over stuff. I mean, my... I've been there. I know what it's like to obsess, you know, it, mm. where I hated eating. I literally hated to eat, but it was a, you know, something I had to do for my goals. And I ate mm. food that I didn't like. I ate a lot of it and I ate it all the time and I hated it. And I still didn't get the results I wanted. And now like I like food again. I, I pretty much go out and eat every meal. I rarely cook for myself anymore. And luckily I'm surrounded by some really good restaurants, uh, that use high quality ingredients, but sometimes I go to fast food too, you know, it, mm -hmm. not that often, but you know, it's, it's so easy. It's become so easy and that I just wish there was a simple way to help people understand that. You know, I think it's, I think this is the one thing that, you know, I, with um if it fits your macros you know uh, look i'm not to be honest i'm not a pop tart fan um I, th I think they're really overrated they taste rank above anything but you know like personally you know whatever floats your boat but like i don't like putting chemicals in my body um you know if i'm gonna do that then i prefer to go out and have a few glasses you know a few glasses of i'm not that wine's bad for you but you know a few drinks here and there and you know, I'll have the odd cake or the odd whatever it is, um, the odd pre-workout with chemicals in. But generally speaking, you know what? If you know, I think the good thing about if it fits your macros is that it's taken a lot of competitors. I'm gonna credit you know Lane Norton for this because he's he, you know he's done a lot of work with it. But you know to take competitors away from the chicken and broccoli diets and then adding something else in there. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't state that I used. If it fits your macros, I like to have alternatives in there. So instead of saying, you know, instead of having a, you know, if we look at a meal that's 30 grams of protein, maybe say it's a low carbohydrate one, so 20 grams of carbs and maybe, I don't know, 20 grams of fat, something like that. You know, I think there is a lot of playing in there that you can do with if it fits your macros. But if we take those macros and we add in whole foods that are nourishing, nutritious to the body, because let's be honest here, there is a difference hormonally when you take in something like, um, I don't know, like a, a whey protein powder and when you eat real food and when you eat a steak, for example, you know, the, the, how your body reacts to that, a protein from steak and a protein from whey are totally different. So 
I would have thought that, you know, for me in particular, when I've tried the two, they definitely had a, an impact on my body composition. So in terms of if it fits your macros, you know what? Yeah, there's there's definitely a place for it. And I think Lane's done a great job um, of freeing a lot of people from that sort of that, that one track diet. However, having said that, you know, I personally don't like the idea of just going for comfort foods all of the time because you can, because it fits your macros. Right. I, Does that, that make sense? Yeah, that was exactly what I was going to say. The reason I don't like that movement is for exactly that reason. You know, it it's very popular with younger people, especially younger yes. athletes. And you can, when you're younger, you have the ability to not pay so much attention to the quality of your food and just focus mm. on the macro macronutrient profile. And uh, this is where... You know, you, you may not be familiar with him, uh, Dr. Bruce Ames and his triage theory of, uh, you know, aging and sickness. And that's, you know, there's certain micronutrients that we need in our diet all the time. And if your body doesn't get enough, then it scales back on some processes to use those micronutrients in the more important ones. Well, those less important ones that starts to cause degradation that builds up over time. When you're young, you're not going to notice that. And so you mm-hmm. can, you can eat the pop tarts and everything and just say, oh, well, it fits my macros. You know, I go to McDonald's and, uh, you know, get a double or quarter pounder with cheese, whatever. It fits my macros, which, you know, the zone was somewhat like that too. It, it went down that path, but we're missing the fact that, like you said, there's a lot of hormonal effects to these different foods. And on top of it, we're not getting all those micronutrients that we might need from whole foods, more nutritious foods or even just a multivitamin sometimes. And mm. and young people just aren't going to notice that. You know, I didn't notice that when I was younger. And now that I'm older, that's something that I'm, I do pay attention to is making sure that I am getting a complete balance in my diet and not just, you know, if it fits my macros, great. You know, and of course, mm. I'm the guy who always talks about eating cherry turnovers, but that's not the majority of my diet. For sure. For sure. I and mean, look, you know, the reality is that our soils weren't, aren't what they were uh, many years ago. So I do think there's a need as well to supplement with the multivitamin and make sure that your food is as as nourishing as possible. And also like, you know, when we talk about nourishing food, we have to look look at how you see your food when you eat it. And this is something I go into with the mindset um, of my girls when they eat, you know, I'm a big fan of slow cooking, um, bone broths and, uh, you know, all of the, the old school ways of preparing food. And when I tell my girls that I'll have lamb shanks for breakfast that have been cooking all night, you know, I get this look of horror. Um, but it's such an amazing food. It's just been cooking all night. And you have all of the, the yummy things in the bones and, and you know, all these the, the great nourishing and nutritious and, uh, I guess, bodybuilding things um, in these foods. And, you know, I try and get my girls to see their foods as nourishing and to actually help them on their way to the to the body that they're after rather than seeing it as oh my god this food is going to make me fat because however you perceive the food is essentially how it is going to be digested and utilized so if you're eating your food and stressing about it you know obviously your cortisol levels are going to be raised that's not good for fat loss so you know we want to start thinking of these things and putting these things in a different light and a bit different perspective yeah do you i I was waiting for you to jump in with something on your patients on that one, Rocky. Well, you know, I, I think that from a patient perspective, again, that's the hardest part, you know, trying to, you know, that, that's what the, the question I always get is, what do I eat? Mm-hmm. And, you know, t- you know, for us who have been kind of indoctrinated, for lack of a better term, we find it kind of, well, it's eat real food, but it's such a foreign concept now that, you know, what is real food now? And it's, it's kind of bad that it's gotten to that point, but... It's really, unfortunately, that's where we're at with the lay public. I mean, and so I, I give lists to patients. You know, I give, here's your list of real food. And it's not very, it's not rocket science. It's beef, fish, chicken, turkey, sheep. And then they have the vegetable list, broccoli, asparagus, Brussels sprouts, cauliflower. I mean, you know, so it's like straightforward and like, oh, okay, I can do this. But it's not on. Um, it's, it's it should be like the second nature thing, and it's not. Which yeah. it's it's just so it's almost flabbergasting, is what it is. 
Yeah. It, I have to say, you know, I, I do feel sorry. Like I feel sorry for you. and work as, as a GP, like it's, and as a doctor, it's damn hard because essentially you're the first port of call that people go to because, you know, GPs and doctors are often the, you know, the trusted source. And it's very hard when you have very limited time with a client, you know, and I think this all stems back to um, a family unit and, how your parents were around food and, you know, watching your, your mother cook or your father cook and how they did it. And I think that that's where you learn the foundations of nutrition is at home. And obviously, if you're blessed to have that, then that's great. But if, if that's not available to you, then it's, it's so important for us particular health professionals to be running things like how to cook classes and you know running seminars and running online products and teaching people how to do these very very basic things and you know maybe that we start um joining up with other healthcare professionals you know i still work with a lot of physios and chiros here who need to get weight off their clients and their patients and doing some, you know, joint things together, like joint seminars. So you've got the, you know, you've got the doctor who's the, you know, the, the, the trusted one. And then you have the trainer or the dietitian, or I wouldn't say dietitian, but so the, the, <laughs> somebody who's educated in real nutrition. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that's not to say all dietitians aren't, you know, right. aren't, but let's, you know, let's get here, the back to the basics nutrition. So, you know, we do like, you know, I try and do a lot of joint seminars like that. And, you know, it's a community thing. But the reality is, is that somebody, whoever it is, the individual, the patient, the client, they have to want to change. Because let's be honest here, it's all too easy just continuing what they're doing. Oh. And that's it. I think we're in a, a lazy, entitled society where people have got to start taking responsibility for themselves. Because quite honestly, society nowadays is just pathetic. And, you know, I think that's where education comes in because you, you've got to, you know, you, whether it's a client or the, or the patient. No, I agree. I, mean, I totally agree. Yeah. Self-culpability. Yeah. You know, nobody wants to yeah. be responsible for what they did to themselves. Totally. I think, totally. I, I think it's up to people like you or Kiefer or myself, whichever realm you're in, whether it's client or provider, um, it's up to us to educate people so that they realize because like you say, they have to be, they have to deal to want to do it for themselves. And, and it's up to us to educate them so they, they want to do it for themselves. And I, I know one of the things I, I always, I dream about is doing grocery store tours with my patients. It's, it's never really come to fruition, but that's a, the simplest thing you could ever do is, okay, let's go to the store and buy groceries, you know? Well, that's and a, it, it, I was going to say, that's a key point. And, you know, you, you two are dovetailing the same conversation because I grew up the you know, when my parents cooked, it was macaroni and cheese out of the box or hot dogs, which were boiled. Or if my, if my dad was feeling adventurous, he would grill the hot dogs over the flames of our gas stove. I mean, mm. that's what I grow up, grew up seeing as food and how to prepare food and where you get your food. And when I got older and learned to cook, oh my gosh, I love putting together just crazy combinations or trying new things or... And it, it always starts with the whole food. And I, you know, that's the missing piece for people. They don't understand how to cook and then they don't understand how much fun it can be. I think uh, Michael Pollan had a great statistic. The number of hours spent cooking uh, is directly correlated to how healthy a person is and how many people cook anymore. They, people just don't cook. I agree. And, you know, people say, oh, I don't have time to cook. And, you know, look, the, I, I try and create cheat sheets for people and, and try and help them as best I possibly can. You know, you know, I work 12, 15, sometimes 17 hour days and cooking is in Monday to Friday is not on my priority list. But I do a batch cook on Sundays and Mondays, uh, sorry, Sundays and Wednesdays. And I just cook up heaps of meat um, and I just have everything prepared. And then I try and then I always give myself time. I always cook one meal a day. So I have, you know, my, my evening meal is cooked. Um, the rest of the time is, you know, I can do this because I'm a bit of a robot with food and I, I'm a bit of a, you know, a bit of a, a tomboy when it comes to nutrition. So I just get it done. Um, but, you know, I, I eat for fuel and I make my food taste as as great as I possibly can. But realizing that I'm eating in line with my goals, my body composition goals. Um, and I just try, you know, obviously on the weekends, then, um, I put, 
I put some love into my food. And this is what I love about slow cooking as well, um, is the, the fact it's so quick. It's so easy. And the best thing about it all, there's no mess. I don't have to clean up any mess. So I stick everything in my slow cooker. I turn it on and then it's there ready for me in the morning. So slow cooking is the way forward. I think the, the concept of I don't have time to cook is the biggest cop-out that I've ever heard. Just I because, just, yeah. like you said, the slow cooker, I mean, what, 10 minutes? 10 minutes of prep, throw it in there, and you're done. And um, and you have some awesome stuff, and the house smells great, and everybody wants to come over, and, and it can be a, it can actually be an event. But, you know, this, this concept, I don't have time to cook, um, I, I, it's more of a mindset. It's not actually that they don't have time to cook, right? I mean, and, and again, it's one of the biggest cop-outs. And, and unfortunately, um, that's not the priority of the person that is saying that, unfortunately. So, so, so I completely agree. I completely agree, Rachel. I think that, you know, that, that the whole concept of, and, and as well as Kiefer, that concept of cooking is really, really important on multiple levels, right? You yeah. know, like... Rocky, it's funny what you just said, like not having time to cook is a cop out. You know how quick it is to prepare some, like it's so quick and easy to prepare like really basic single ingredient foods. And not only that, like these are the, the same people that if you ask them what's happening um, on their, the, on the latest, whatever TV show it is, or what's happened on keeping up with the Kardashians, they'll be able to tell you, you know, I don't know what, right. I don't know what's going on on TV, but you know, this is the kind of thing that we're after. So when somebody tells me they don't have time to cook, unless we're dealing with, you know, sometimes I do deal with some genuinely very, very high flying, busy people, in which case I'll usually put them on a food delivery program. We've got some great, awesome programs here in Sydney. Um, so I'll get the food delivered to them. And usually when they're at that level, they can afford to do that. But if somebody tells me they don't have time to cook, I'm like, okay, what time do you get up? Oh, around seven, seven thirty in the morning. What time do you go to bed? Oh, about 12 o'clock at night. So what the hell are you doing? <laughs> if you work nine to five, what on earth are you doing in the, in those middle at those other times? What are you doing? You know, because I can guarantee you, you're probably sitting with your ass on the couch I'll stop myself there. <laughs> Sitting your ass on a couch watching some TV show when you could be doing something a little more productive. So, you know, it's it's back to this exactly the same thing that we've been talking about for the past hour. And that's having A, some self-respect. Also, B, making sure that you're not entitled. Oh, I'm entitled to this. I'm entitled to that. And C, taking responsibility for your actions. Yeah, that self-culpability. And it, it kind of goes back to that. It, it's funny you phrase it like that because how often that somebody has a great day at work or there was some triumph that's like oh well I can reward myself and mm. and they'll go eat some crap and then they have a bad day at work so, oh I had such a horrible day I need to go eat this to make myself feel better it's mm. it's like you know no matter what they're gonna like eat some crap and there's never that thought of like what am I doing to myself it's that you know that's why I think and we don't need to go into healthcare because I know everybody will get pissed off who's listens to the show. But, you know, I think that's a critical component component of healthcare. And that's that people realize their health is in their hands. Even their bad health was in their hands yeah. and their good health can be in their hands too. Absolutely. I mean, Rocky, you're not going to fix everybody that walks through your door. You just can't do it. Oh, you know? absolutely not. You know, because not, not, not everybody's ready to be fixed. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. And, th and that's the thing. And, we just kind of feel like, you know, well, some, somebody or something is going to take care of it later. Okay, so what? I've got high blood sugar. I can just take a pill. Not a big deal. So what? My cholesterol's up. I'll just take a pill for that. You know, they still don't take any action on their own behalf to fix the problem. It's, you know, it's just, I, I don't know. I, you know, I don't want to say it's completely lazy. It's complete laziness, but I think part of it is also a defeatist attitude, like fat. Mm -hmm. Calling somebody fat in this in the states is one of the worst. I mean, it's almost becoming as bad as the worst racial slur that you could use. And I think that's because people feel like there's no escape. They're fat, and there's no way that they can beat it. They're just stuck that way. And I think that's why they're so sensitive to being called fat because they think it's something that they have no control over. And here we are. We've got huge communities of people that we've all worked with and we've proven it is something that you control it is something that you can fight you just have to want to you don't you can't walk into it with a defeatist attitude like well you know i'm fat i'm screwed you know don't don't call me fat because there's nothing i can do about it 
I agree, and it's this thing is really sad about that. I mean, we can get we can get into this, but you know that it's interesting that um, those people that say, "Oh, don't call me fat; it's offensive." They're the first to say, "Oh, you're lucky, bitch. You're skinny." Right. Well, okay. So, so, like that's so that's not offensive. Like, I'm sorry, but you know, when you've got somebody who's genuinely very slim, um, you know, so quite often I've got some girls who I work with who. Um, they've come to me because they want to build muscle. They want to build a booty. They want to grow some shoulders and they want to have some sexy curves. Now, something that really upsets them is that people say to them all the time, oh, skinny bitch. Well, that's equally as offensive as, you know, if we're going to go into this whole offensive thing, you know, is calling somebody fat. You know, that that's exactly how it is. And it's the same goes when you have somebody who's got money. Oh, oh you know, oh, they're so rich. I mean, this is something that's very common in, in Australia, like tall poppy syndrome. Um, you know, they, they don't like the the successful people. Oh, you know, oh, so-and-so makes so much money. Oh, they're lucky because they're so rich. Well, those people don't then go and say, oh, look at you, you know, you're so poor. You don't, you don't go and do that. It's exactly the same thing. So I don't see why we should be having this, you know, having a conversation where there's, you know, well, we're calling somebody fat is offensive. Well, so is somebody, so is calling somebody skinny. That can be offensive to somebody, you know, calling somebody and, and talking badly about somebody who's worked very hard and has done very well for themselves and is now earning a, a fair bit and probably actually also giving back, you know, giving back to the community a lot as well. You know, it's this is what I think. You know, I just think that um, people are, are far too sensitive sometimes, um, but also they should be careful with their choice of words. I completely agree. I mean, it's <clears throat> and it, it it does go both ways. You know, I the looks. You know, when I go through the grocery store and I do buy a box of donuts or whatever, it's my carb night or I'm carving up or yeah. or whatever it is. You know, I get these looks like I'm this asshole. Because I'm in great shape and I'm buying a box of donuts. It's like, it's like, you know, it's, I don't don't know what to tell you at that point. You know, I'm sorry that you haven't taken the time to figure it out for yourself. Um, But I'm not going to feel bad about eating this dozen donuts, uh, which, which I actually did the other night. I had a dozen Dunkin' Donuts. Those things are that it was fantastic. It was Rocky's fault. Rocky instigated it because he sent me a picture of a dozen donuts. And I was like, man. I could eat a dozen donuts right now. So I did. I got mine for free, so. (laughs) (laughs) I am, I'm not really a donut person. I'm very much a carrot cake girl. I'm very, I'm Mm. a big fan of carrot cake and coffee cake. Um, And that, you know, that really nice French white bread. Um, Donuts, yeah, I can kind of take them or leave them. Um, Yeah, it's one of those things. Yeah, so earlier in the show, I mentioned that we have your counterpart here in the studio and that's my dog yes. Cooper. He's like this little corgi <laughs> mix and I'm Cute. pretty pretty convinced that the birds over in the park where we go every morning he likes to chase pigeons. And <laughs> he looks a little chunky so they they have named him the burly fox. Oh, cute. So we've got on this show, unfortunately he doesn't talk very much, but we have both the burly fox and the athletic fox on one podcast. I think that's a rare moment. Um, it's the first yeah. time in history. Yeah, and we're we're very proud to have have both sides of the coin on the show today. Well, you'll have to post pictures of the burly fox on Facebook or Twitter so I can have a look at him. I will. I'll make sure you get pictures of him. Amazing. And uh, we've actually ran through an entire hour, and we didn't even get to talk about how you built such a fine rear end, which I really wanted to get to on this show but we didn't make it. Okay. <laughs> well, I can give you a quick rundown. Um, Re- I... Really quick. I'll, I'll give you okay. two minutes. Can you do it in two minutes? Oh yeah, totally. Okay. okay so um, initially I was blessed because um, I have a very good set of genes and I was very lucky that um, growing up my fat always sort of settled in the right places around my around my bum so even when I was younger I like my bum always looked big in jeans and then I needed to change that from being a fat bum to a a muscular bum so that it didn't move when I walked so I just I started um obviously started lifting I lift lift very heavy weights um and you know when we talk about training glutes um, particularly on women I like very high volume training um 
and also, you know, when I talk about high volume, we talk about during the week, you know, I'm looking at training glutes three times a week. So trying to do more uh, posterior chain dominant movements rather than um, training the quads. A lot of women are quad dominant. So my training now consists of a variety of lifts, some, uh, you know, heavy deadlifts, um, right through to single leg glute bridges to lots of isolation movements. So I actually did a webinar on um, how to build a booty um, the other day, which was, was quite popular. And, you know, I think that the key things out of this are high volume training. The glutes um, recover very quickly from training. So hitting them all angles uh, and make sure you put your mind in there. So mind in the muscle and you've almost got to become obsessed with your glutes if you want them to grow. That's my quick rundown. That's an excellent piece of advice, and I won't say whether I'm obsessed with your glutes or not, but <laughs> if I am, it paid off because they're excellent. He Thank might, you very much. He, so he might very be. Them, but you know, they could still do with some work. Like I, I, t- I actually tore my hamstring six weeks ago, so Ooh. they're looking a little deflated at the moment. So I'm, I'm actually going to go see a specialist today because I might need a scan on my hammy. Just not healing very well. So um, unfortunately, my glutes are uh, a little flatter than they usually are. And uh, they've still got some growing to do. So we'll keep at it. Well, if I'd known they were flatter than normal, then we wouldn't have even had you on the show. Oh, come on. No, that's bad. It's <laughs> <laughs> still bigger than your average. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Uh, excellent. It's been a lot of fun having you on the show. Hopefully I can get you back on, uh, since you're, you're like super popular, uh, these days, I really appreciate you doing my podcast. Thank you very much for having me. And I hope I was well enough behaved. Yeah, not too, not too bad. I think, uh, bullshit only came out once. And, uh, other than that, it wasn't too bad. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks again. And, um, Thank That's another episode of Body IOFM, and we'll catch you next time. You've been listening to Body IOFM with your hosts, Kiefer and Dr. Rocky. If you'd like to hear more, log on to body.io. We'll be back next time with more science from the pinnacle of human health and performance.